Let's pray together. God, thank you for joy. <laughs> the joy that we can have in Christ. Lord, I thank you that even, even as we reflect on what happened in the manger, that really what it does is it just reminds us again that you're for us. So Father, I pray we would be reminded time and time again of what it is that you've done. Lord, use it to remind us of your great love for us. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning so far, huh? All right, I'm going to see if I can't uh, help that continue along. Last week I gave you a little bit of a Christmas present and I preached really, really short. None of you noticed though, did you? Well, that was your Christmas present, so sorry you missed out. Merry Christmas. This week I have another gift for you. I'm going to preach two messages in one. Yeah, exactly. You got gypped. <laughs> um, what I want you to do is take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 4. Um, we're going to continue in our Repeat the Sounding Joy series. It's our Christmas Advent series. And what we're doing is we're looking at Scripture. And what we're finding is that the message of Christmas is actually throughout all of Scripture. It's not in those very Christmas, just in those very Christmassy uh, passages, but it's, it's, it's throughout. It's in a number of different areas. So when you read a passage, really what you're finding is that the, the uh, Christmas story is, is being repeated. And the Christmas story at its very most basic level is exactly what we were just listening to. It's, it's, it's come be reminded of what it is that God has done. Come be reminded of the amazing love that God showed for you in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And, and that constant reminder throughout Scripture that that is what um, brings us to the place where we are reconciled with God. And so there's great hope to have in that message. There's great love to be seen in that message. There's great joy to be had in that message. And there's wonderful peace that comes along with that message. And that message is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's who we celebrate, and that's what we're talking about over the next few weeks. Actually, it's only one more week. Next week's Christmas Eve. You believe that? Now, once again, I've admitted that I shop on Christmas Eve day. I am proud to announce that I have bought all of three gifts already because I'm ahead. Um, <laughs> the best sales happen Christmas Eve day. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, so I'm going to, um, uh, with fear and trepidation, I'm going to open up the floor for some comments, so get ready. Are you ready? Okay. So, I heard, a, I heard a great, yeah, I'm ready. So, when you think about what gives you joy, what is it? What, what gives you great joy? Nice and loud. Go for it. Family. Children. Sleep. Amen, sister. I'm with you. My wife. My wife. You're, you, yeah, we got it. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> Patriots losing. So, I'm just going to let you know that last week, the Patriots decided to show the entire world mercy and grace and, and allow the Dolphins, I mean the Dolphins of all teams, to beat... <laughs> yes. So, we have a little bit of a civil war in the house today. My son Luke is a big Steelers fan and I am a... Not. Um, so exactly. So you guys should cheer for the Patriots today. See, I tried that last year. It didn't work either. That's all right. Okay. So what gives you joy is the Patriots losing. I'm glad I could help you in your joy. Okay. Now let's get over it. Now next, <laughs> what else gives you great joy? Giving. Jesus. There we go. We brought it back to the Sunday school answer. Jesus. 
So, so what I, what I want to do is this. I want to kind of paint two pictures for you. Um, when we, well, let me read this first. Look at Philippians 4, verse 4. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, or maybe your version has reasonableness or graciousness or gracious spirit. Let your gentleness or reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Those are verses 4 and 5 of Philippians chapter 4. And what I'm going to tell you is verses 4 and 5 are the focal point for us today and the focal point for, for this paragraph where those verses are found. And, and the interesting part is you look through those, you find that there's a number of places in those verses that can be taken, a couple of words couple of ideas that can be taken two completely different directions and give you two completely different meanings. And so the, the question is, which one's the right one? And the answer is yes. And, and I, think, I think it's on purpose. And, and what I want to do is kind of do a little bit of almost like a Bible study with you here at first and then go in and apply these in a preachy kind of way because that's what I do. Um, the first one is this. He starts off by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, first and foremost, when God repeats himself, it's not like when I repeat myself. When I repeat myself, chances are good I just forgot that I've told you the story already. Uh, chances are good that I'm, I'm doing something else and I'm distracted at the moment. But when God repeats himself, we had better stop and take notice. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So, so what is it in Scripture, what is it that gives us the foundation for the joy that we're supposed to have, that we're being commanded to have even here. Well, what is it that should drive us? And I think there's, as you look through Scripture, there's really two different foundations for this rejoicing. The first one is this. It's found in, in Luke chapter 10. It's uh, this event that happens, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I, I'm going to end up preaching this here sooner rather than later. It's awesome. It's a, it's a great picture of this. Jesus gets 72 disciples, and, and some versions say 70, so it's either 70 or 72. He gets the disciples together, and he, he sends them out, and when he sends them out, he says to them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. I want you to go out, and I want you to heal. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to do good work as you go. So I want you to go out and do these things, and you'll have the power you need to do it. You go out and do those things, and, and as you read the story, what you find is shock of all shocks, the 72 listen to Jesus, they go out, and they do what it is that Jesus has told them to do, and they return to Jesus as a group with their, their eyes wide, and their, their mouths running 100 miles an hour, and they're just like, you're not going to believe it. We opened our mouths, and even demons were cast out. We had the power to speak to somebody who was possessed by a demon, and the demon left. Can you believe that? I mean, so, so picture this. Jesus has sent them out to do these things. They've returned to Jesus, overwhelmed that everything that Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And they've come in front of him as a group, and they're celebrating the victory that they've had, and Jesus is sitting before them. Jesus, the one who sent them, the one who knew what was going to happen, and he looks at them and he says to them, oh, you don't say. You know, as you spoke to demons and they left, I was in heaven one day, and I saw Satan himself get cast out of heaven. So I know you think it's a big deal you were able to cast out demons. I watched God cast Satan out of heaven like lightning. It was amazing. But don't get distracted. Don't celebrate the fact that you're able to 
to, to, to walk on scorpions or bit, be bitten by snakes and it not affect you. Don't be overwhelmed and celebrate the fact that as you speak, you're able to cast out demons. Don't be celebrating the fact of all the ability that you have, all the things that you're able to do now. Don't, don't celebrate that. This is what I want you to celebrate. Celebrate that your names are written in heaven. Think about that for a moment. Don't we get distracted sometimes and we, we run after all these, look what we were able to do, yay! Hey, man, have you lost sight of what matters most? Your name's written in heaven. Celebrate that. So one of the foundational motivations of our rejoicing should be the fact that we have found our names written in heaven. How do you find your name written in heaven? It's not like you, you, you send four easy payments of 1999. That doesn't happen. You find your name written in heaven. When you lean into and lean on Christ and only Christ, Jesus alone as your Savior. Understanding that you are separated from God, even though he created you to be in relationship with him, you are separated from God. Because Jesus, the sweet lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, came and willingly took your place and absorbed the wrath that you deserved. And you trust in him, lean on him for your salvation, for your reconciliation with God. And what you have from God is this, total acceptance through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Rejoice, because your name's written in heaven. Another, another fundamental and foundational motivation of rejoicing is actually found in Isaiah 55 when God speaks to his people. And he says, oh, hey, let me, let me remind you of something. Aren't my ways higher than your ways? Aren't my thoughts bigger than your thoughts? Aren't my plans better than your plans? Man, even as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my thoughts, my words, my plans, my ideas higher than yours. As high as heaven is above the earth, I am that much greater in, in, in scope and ability than anyone else. And as you're considering that, just like the rain might fall from heaven and it would fall down onto the earth and the seedlings would suck in the water and the moisture and then they would germinate and grow into a crop that's all caused by the rain that falls from heaven. Just remember, everything that comes from heaven from me will never, never will it return empty. Whatever comes from me will always produce action. So as my word comes forth from heaven, you will always see it develop into something that is good and right. So what, what's another fundamental and foundational motivation of joy? Not only is your name written in heaven, but another one is this. God is big. You want to rejoice? Rejoice in that. Your God is big. Um, I, I love the fact that, that, that there's some great theologians out there. I love the fact that there are people who write incredible books that'll just blow your mind and are just so deeply filled with academia and, 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 and things that I would never know had I not read in the book. And even after reading in the book, I don't really know it. But there is no book that could contain the full description and wisdom of our God. There's no book. Our God is big. And so, as you look at these, these key verses, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again, rejoice. Remember, there's two kind of foundational motivations for that rejoicing. You've got your name is written in the book of heaven, and you have the fact that God is big. 
But then as you continue through this, it's let your gentleness or your reasonableness, it depends on, on what Bible version you're using and on what they focus on right there. And, and actually, the, the answer to what, what should, how should that be translated, the answer really is yes, <laughs> which, which makes it difficult, but they mean two very different things. So in your, your version, you may have let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all, let your graciousness be evident to all, let your gracious spirit or gentle spirit be evident to all. And as you read through that, what is that talking about? The idea is this, in your interactions with other people, uh, allow uh, your, your response to them to be one such that you are serving them. So, so really it is that you're submitting to them. It's your, you're being meek with them, which means to control power. It means I have the power to do something, but I'm not going to do it. It's, the idea really is you yield your rights to another person. So just because you can doesn't mean you do. This is let your gentleness, your graciousness, your gracious spirit, let your willingness to yield your rights to another person be evident to all. So that's one understanding of that verse. The other one is this, let your reasonableness be evident to all. The, the idea is, let me paint the picture first, and then, then, then hopefully it'll, it'll help you get it. Um, the the, the um, mattresses, that's what they're called. <laughs> Mattress commercials, they're a little goofy, right? My favorite ones are the ones where they're like, so this mattress is so amazing. I can't think of another word for a mattress. It's so amazing. That, that you can have a cup of red wine sitting on the corner of your mattress and you can jump up and down on the other side. Because you do that every day at home, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, what? what? I'm going to jump up and down on the other side and look, it doesn't even move. The picture for reasonableness is this cup of wine undisturbed at your heart while all of life is doing this. Let, let your reasonableness be evident to all people. While life is upside down, let your heart remain undisturbed. Those are the two pictures in that verse. Then you get to the end of this and you, you get this final phrase that we're going to focus on and it's this, the Lord is near. That can mean two very different things. So dads, you come home from work. And the word is, dad's home, can mean two different things. Kids, did you do your homework? Did you clean your room? Did you take the dog out like you were supposed to? Did you bring the trash out? Dad's home. How's that feel? Uh-oh. Or, <clears throat> yeah, bicycle accident. There's bleeding. Dad's rushed to the rescue. Dad's home different feel, right? See, see, in this, the Lord is near, one way you can view that, that, that phrase is this, God is watching. The problem is that some, oftentimes when we hear that, we, we hear boogeyman. But, but if God is watching, and you have made it clear that your philosophy and purpose in life is, is 2 Corinthians 5.9, I make it my aim, my goal, my lifelong passion, my pursuit in life is to put a smile on God's face at all times. And if that's the case, if that's true about you, then God watching you, over you, being there, isn't a, a boogeyman feel. Instead, it's a, that's my dad. I want to do my best, right? I want Olympics. Any of you ever participate in the curse called a Wana Olympics? 
All right, good. There's only like one. That's, I think there's only three or four people in both services. That's crazy. You have been blessed by God that you have not had to participate in Awana Olympics. What it is, they take all the traditional Awana games and they get churches and they invite them into one place and they play all these games church against church. You think church softball leagues get rugged. You should see Awana Olympics. There are children who are still missing this day. I'm just kidding. Just Just a little bit. However, uh, in Awana Olympics, I'll just share this real quick. One of my favorite games in Awana Olympics is the Sparky Crawl. Okay, there you go. Sparky Crawl. There's four different teams. You have one that lines up on this side, one on that side, one on that side, and one on that side. Four corners. Somebody says go. All four teams have to crawl across the floor at the same time and make it to the other side. Whatever team is fully on the other side first, they win. Now, when it starts, it's like go. They're like, yay. When it gets in the middle, there's tears and blood and big fights breaking out. Four-year-olds are dropping an elbow. I mean, it's like this, it's this awesome thing that happens. It's great. So seeing that, as a college intern one summer, I had gone back to college and I was responsible to run a game for our student body. So we had about 600 people in the student body, and so I did this big thing that day called Guys Against the Girls, very creative. And we had bleachers, and so we had the girls are on this side and the guys are on this side. And I stood up front and I did quiz games and goofy little athletic marathon kind of things. And at the end of it, here's the grand finale. How many of you have seen the Sparky Crawl? And they're like, eh. I'm like, well, we're going to do that. So guys, line up. Girls, line up. I'm the go. You just got to get to the other bleachers. And whoever's on the bleachers on the other side first wins. And they're like, yay. And as I'm saying it, the, the staff member who's responsible for this event comes and whispers over my shoulder, this is a terrible idea. And I look, and all the guys are linking arms. It's like, oh, well, game on. Um, I said go. Now, what I found was a very interesting social experiment. The girls came off the bleachers like they had just won the NCAA tournament. The guys who had been showing a big game by linking arms were like, do we do this? And what ended up happening was the girls trounced literally upon the boys. Uh, There were only injuries in the male side, um, which I like to think the guys were just being gentlemen's. Gentlemen's? I don't think that's how plurals work. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But they weren't. There, I had to get one in. Every service, just one. Hopefully that was the one. Um, Now, when my youngest, my my kids were younger and they had participated in the one Olympics, Stephanie and I would go and we'd sit and we'd watch and they had the circles. There was one game where one of our kids would, uh, was in it, and it was, you had to just bounce a basketball. It's not that hard. They had to bounce a basketball going around the circle. And they had to go around the circle like three or four times, right? So go, and then the kids go, and it's kind of like a relay, and, and then our kid gets the basketball, and he's like, rrr, rrr, and as he comes around to this side where he can see us, instantly, forget the basketball, it's like, and then you go around again. And every time he came around, and we're like, no, just play it back. So we knew scholarships were out right away. Um, but as I was thinking about it, he just wanted to see mom and dad smile. There was no intimidation with us being there, pushing them on. It was, my parents are here. So when you hear the Lord is near, he's watching, think about it that way. See, stop, stop hearing Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve have sinned. 
They're hiding themselves in the garden. They've clothed themselves because they're now filled with shame because of the sin. God returns to the garden, and it says he's calling out for them, where are you? Please, please don't hear boogeyman, God is watching to make sure you don't step out of line. Don't hear his voice like, where are you? Why aren't you, where, where are you? No, 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 no. Hear the God who's sitting in the stands who wants to see you. There's a smile on his face because of you. Hear his voice in the garden like it should be heard. Where are you? Where are you? So there's that part of the Lord is near. There's also that other part of the Lord is near that I, I, I love thinking about. The Lord's here, and he's got his arm around me. I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. I'll be with you. The Lord is near. So, so why did I walk through verses 4 and 5 and give you all those different options? Because as you read the beginning of Philippians 4, I believe that those options all are um, applicable to the rest of the, the, the passage, the rest of the paragraph. And so let's do this. Let's start in verse 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. To rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. Stop there. So, um, I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever had your name called out in the middle of a message. So the pastor's up there preaching, and all of a sudden he's talking about you. And I may have shared this before, but my wife's granddad was one of those old hellfire brimstone uh, preachers, and, and he was preaching, and there was a couple balconies in the place he was preaching, and he was letting it rip, and he was just going crazy, and then he's, ah, rah, rah, and he looked up, and he stopped what he was doing, and he pointed to the bleacher, the bleachers, to the, the um, balcony, and he said, you three teenagers, stand up! And they did. I've been watching you mess around the entire service, talking, talking, talking. Where are your parents? Um, I think I'm going to find a different church. That's humiliating, isn't it? I mean, put yourself, I mean, both situations, either teens or, or parents, put yourself, that's, that's, whew. So now you, your church has received a letter from the Apostle Paul, a man who has done amazing things for your church, for the church in the world, the missionary, the one everybody talks about, his great reputation, and he writes a letter to your church, and in that letter, you're named and not for good reasons. Can you imagine poor Euodia and Syntyche sitting there listening to the, the reason we can be joyful in the middle of difficult situations, because that's, that's what Philippians is about. The, the reason you can hang it, the reason that you can give God joy when everything's going bad, and, and they're both like, oh, this is, and they're probably not sitting together, that would be my guess, and they're listening to it, and all of a sudden you hear the person who's reading the letter to the church like, okay, so stand firm in the Lord, dear friends, 
I urge Euodia and Syntyche, your heart has to fall out of your chest. Now, we don't have any details about what the conflict was about. We don't. We, 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 don't, we don't know if they were arguing about philosophy of ministry, if they were arguing about the color of the carpet, or, or they were arguing about, I don't know what they were arguing about. They weren't, we don't know. But what we do know is their argument was affecting the ministry of the gospel in that area. And Paul said, stop it. Um, I think one of the biggest bandits that steals our joy in Christmas is relational conflict. Relational conflict. And let's be honest, relational conflict over Christmas is usually about the dumbest stuff, right? Oh, but you were at their house last Christmas. Why can't you be at our house this Christmas? Who were you going to be on New Year's Eve? How come you didn't call me? What, what, you, you called me after you called them? Why did you call me first? How come you got to open your present first? His stocking's bigger than mine. Oh, right? I mean, relational conflict comes from such goofy things. However, it's heartbreaking. And no matter how goofy it is, it drains your joy. And it's usually a result, James chapter 4 tells us, of this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. See, it comes from selfishness. It comes from our own inner arrogance. And what, what Paul says to these ladies is, I want you to agree. And, and he ends at the end, of it, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Well, what do they have to rejoice over? They're in the middle of this conflict. They're, 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 they're not happy with each other, and everybody knows it. So, so what do they have to rejoice over? Well, he even mentions it. Their names are in the book of life. Man, get some perspective. I mean, if you don't like the color of the carpet, if you don't like the, the fact that the guy yells who's preaching at you, if you don't like the fact that we serve decaf and caffeinated coffee, or if you just don't like the blend of the caffeinated coffee, you can go see Dave Baldwin, and good luck with that. So I'm going to let you deal with that. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't like the fact that I don't like this music. I think we should sing other music. If you don't like stop. Get some perspective. Get some perspective. Is your name written in the book of life? And you have every reason to rejoice, and you should be doing all things without grumbling and without complaining. So I urge you, Sintiki and you, Odious, to get along in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. And don't, don't, don't treat your relational conflict like the world does. Don't try to win in relational conflict with other people because there is no joy, even if you win. There, there's absolutely no, no joy from it. So, so remember, it's like, where does our joy come from? It comes from the fact that your name is written in heaven. So allow your graciousness, your gentle spirit to be demonstrated to all people. So make sure you yield what is actually your right to other people in the midst of relational conflict. May your graciousness and your gentle spirit be known to all people. Because the Lord's at hand. He's there. He's watching. Everything you do in the midst of that relational conflict should be done. Put a smile on his face. He's not saying that these two women need to become best buddies. 
He's saying, get back to the place where it's not all about you, but it's about the gospel. So, who do you need to yield to? So we all have one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice because your name's written in heaven. But there's two messages in one, remember? So let's continue reading in verse 6. Actually, I'll start back in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness or reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so what is the other bandit that steals your joy at Christmas? Anxiety. Anxiety. Um... I want to be clear on a couple things. First of all, we're not talking about fear or alarm. Fear is actually a good thing. Fear is, a, is something that God has given us as a gift to keep us from doing incredibly stupid things. That the fear of heights is good. It'll keep you from falling from a high place. The, the fear of dogs, that's a good thing sometimes. It'll keep you from being bitten by a dog. Uh, the, the, the fear of spiders, that's a godly thing, not just a good thing. Those things are creepy. Snakes, remember Satan was a serpent, stay away from those, fear snakes, that's okay. But the, the, the fear is actually a good thing. It's a gift from God that keeps you from doing foolish things. The problem is that it becomes anxiety and no longer fear when that's all you think about. When you lay in bed at night and you run the, the scenario in, head, in your head of how bad this can go and why it's going to go that way, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen, and how am I supposed to do that? And I don't understand how I can do this. And, and Proverbs 12, 25 tells us that an, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Isn't that true? So, so um, how, how do I move on from anxiety to what it is that Paul's commanded us to do, rejoicing in the Lord always? So, a um, couple things. Anxiety, I believe, begins when you start listening to lies that have been whispered. Well, this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen, because, 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 because God's not paying attention, because God, maybe God doesn't really care, maybe God's not really listening, maybe God, maybe God. So when you start listening to those lies, and it noodles around your head for a while, and then it, it kind of compounds on top of itself, and it continues to develop, to develop, to develop, to the place where now you are racked with anxiety. I need to move past that, so stop listening to the lies. Remember, one of the foundational, fundamental motivations of rejoicing is God's big. So remember, God is big. How do I do that? Uh, well, it says it right here, doesn't it? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There. Solution is given. Pray. <laughs> it's absolutely true. The problem is, is we have way undersold what that verse says. I'm praying. In fact, I'm even praying the prayer of Jehoshaphat. I have no idea what to do. My eyes are on you, God. And I, I tell you what, 
I tell you right, right now, my whole world's doing this, and my glass of wine's like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. there is no undisturbed heart here, but I'm praying, I'm doing, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You missed a part. Look at that verse again. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. You don't just fall on your face before God and go, help me, help me, I don't have no idea what to do. I am terrified, I am anxious, I am overwhelmed. Please help me, help me. And you get up and you're like, amen. Oh, Lord, help me, help me. Now that, that's, that's fine, that's good, that's helpful. You should be crying out to God. But don't miss sight of the fact that one of the, the key components of walking in a relationship with God is taking time to rehearse his goodness to you in the past. Because when you're thankful, you are reminded of how God has come through before right? You're reminded of how you've never been left out on your own. You're reminded that he is near. See, okay, this was, okay, just calm everybody's nerves down in the air. Um, this was years ago, um, 22 years ago, about. Stephanie and I have just been married. We got married when we were 13, so <laughs> just again, slightly exaggeration. I was 21, she was 20. Uh, we we, um, <clears throat> we uh, moved to uh, Wisconsin so I could finish my senior year in college. A couple things about that you need to know. Um, we were living large, uh, working for this thing called institutional minimum wage, which is somehow legal. It's less than minimum wage. And so, yeah, we were uh, working for the college, and we were making uh, $2 an hour. We were rolling. We needed a place to stay while we were, and there was no way we were staying on campus. I mean, some of you know my story. I moved into a dorm when I was 12. I got married. There was no way I was living in campus housing. So I found us a place. <laughs> yeah, a trailer, $200 a month, orange countertops, and skunks lived underneath it. I knew how to treat my lady right. That's where we lived. We lived a few miles off campus. Uh, I had started an intern program, and I was um, doing an internship practicum kind of thing at a, a local church about 20 minutes away. The campus was a little bit off away, and uh, we had a, a Hyundai Excel because, again, we were living large. <laughs> and I would drive that thing, and the Hyundai Excel had this really cool feature that it had developed where uh, the front wheels like to point opposite directions. Um, that had something to do, I was reminded after first service this morning, had something to do with the fact that I had smoked a deer going 70. Kind of messes with your alignment a little, evidently. Um, so when you would drive it, it'd be like... <laughs> so uh, we had gone home for Christmas, and my younger sister was like, hey, Frank, let me, we've got this Ford Thunderbird. Um, why don't we trade? We trade. I'll take that one. I don't drive it around much. I can get it fixed here, but you take the Thunderbird. And we're like, yeah, great idea. And I'm thinking, I got her. Um, we went back to campus and, um, and after Christmas. And <laughs> ah, thus began the weirdest six months of vehicles in our entire life. Probably anybody's life. Because what happened was Stephanie had, was going to go to the airport in Milwaukee, which is about four hours away, and she was going to pick up her sister after Christmas break. 
I was going to leave about an hour and a half, two hours after her in a school van and drive to the same airport to pick up a whole truckload of students who were flying in because I worked for the college. That was my job. And, and so she left. Now, this is before the days of cell phones. So she left and she went down and on her way to the airport to pick up her sister, that awesome car that my sister had given to me, died. Like, dead died. And so my wife had to leave the car and walk to a home that was as close as possible and knock on a complete stranger's door and let them know her car had broken down. It was like 10 below zero. So she did that. Now, amazingly, the guy's door who she knocked on was a mechanic. That was a coincidence, right? Um, <laughs> but I get to the airport to pick up the students, and her sister's like, hey, Frank, you're not supposed to be here. She's like, yeah, well, they had called through her parents, and so I figured out where she was. And um, on the way up with the van full of college students, like, sorry, got to rescue my wife. And so we stopped, picked up my wife, and we drove back to campus. And that car, the Thunderbird, dead. We're not even started the semester yet, dead. But um, there was a missionary family who was from that area who was overseas, and they had said, yeah, you can, you can take our car. It's a fancy Subaru. So we drove a fancy Subaru for a little while, and Stephanie got in the car and was headed to town. You'll notice a theme with who was driving, by the way. She was driving to town and seized up, completely dead. Er, dead. It's like, oh, all right. So remember, we're living off campus. It's not like we can walk where we're going. We're living off campus. And so then, so then we had friends that let us borrow their boat of a car. This thing was huge. And um, Stephanie was driving it. Um, and they don't plow up there. They just kind of pack the road down and then throw sand on top of it. And uh, she was driving it, and, and this really wasn't her fault. There was the icy ruts would come from the frozen slush, and she got her tires stuck in it, and it just pu- she couldn't get out of it. It was like being on a train track. And it pulled her off, and she, <laughs> she put it into the snowbank. Okay? And when, when she told me, she's like, ah, I kind of ran. The car's off the road. It got in the snow a little bit. I'm like, ah, no problem. So I got a couple of buddies. I went, she buried this thing. It took us hours to get it out of there. It's like, that was a little undersold, hon. Um, so the, needless to say, we didn't get to borrow that car anymore. Um, And then another friend was like, hey, use my little car. We're like, thanks. And so this time I was driving it, and it was maybe two weeks later, and we're driving, and we're just driving, and the axle went. And it's like March. We have to make it through April, May, June. Had to get to to campus every day, not only to work, but to take classes. We needed to make it to the the church I was working at. And, And here's the crazy part. We left there in June, and we moved to Philadelphia. And from the time that we were without a car, after breaking everybody's car, um, to the time we went back, we never had a problem getting to where we needed to be. There was one reason or another, somebody just swinging by, somebody giving us a day loan and a heavy insurance policy on their car, but, but we never were without a vehicle. What that should do is at this moment where I'm starting to question how God's going to provide. How is God going to provide? I don't understand how God's going to provide. I can't see how he's going to provide. It should provide this, shouldn't it? The undisturbed heart. See, when we're thankful in our prayers to God, as we're walking through our terror, and let's be honest, it's scary sometimes, and we're, we're praying and asking God to, to be near to us and understand that he's big and understand that we're struggling. When we, when we do those things, And then we stop and give thanks for the things that he's given to us. Gives us that perspective again, doesn't it? 
and it renews the joy that the bandit snuck in and tried to steal. So this week, I spent some time rehearsing my own list. This is a very edited list, but uh, I want to share it with you. So I'm thankful. And these are the things I need to remember when all of life starts pulling one of these. God provided our family food this week. God has put a roof over my head and clothes on my body. God allowed me to see an amazing sunset on Monday night. It was unbelievable. And then this morning, the sunrise was... Last Saturday, I got to sit in a tree line, and I got to listen to it snow. Um, I was able to, had the physical capability to, speak last Sunday and this Sunday, and Lord willing, many Sundays to come. I'm thankful because we have a reunited family Everybody's home from college. I get to see my kids. I'm thankful because I have kissed the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm thankful because I have a supportive wife. And those happen to be the same person, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Want any questions there? <laughs> thankful that I have a wife who's not afraid to tell me I'm okay. And a wife who's not afraid to tell me I'm a moron. I'm thankful to be able to laugh, to have a family and a church that loves to laugh. Um, I'm thankful, and this, this sounds, um, it's true, it sounds different, but I'm grateful and thankful that I've had the opportunity to um, mourn the loss of a, uh, a great friend years ago. Um, because it meant that I had a relationship worth mourning. I'm thankful that uh, two years ago, I didn't know any of you. I mean, I don't mean I'm thankful I didn't know you. But <laughs> for some of you, that's true, but... <laughs> but yeah, a year and a half in, and here we are, and yeah, you guys are family. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to do what I love to do in a place I love to do it. Thankful... Uh, when God has provided me sleep in those nights that I didn't think it would be possible. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to listen to great music, to, to be at a church where we have great musicians. I am so thankful for that. I am thankful that we have been able to enjoy God's hand of love after we've lost three babies to miscarriage. I'm thankful thought about this yesterday, and to see Stephanie slaving away on her different projects and baking and all the different things she does, and just to watch her do those things, remembering that about 16 years ago, she was in a coma, and I wasn't sure if she was going to live. I am thankful uh, that we've been able as a family to reflect even this week on how God's provided everything we need. Even though it may not be everything we want, it's everything we need. Um, 
we were talking as a family, actually. It's been amazing to watch how when we find those times of need, that God would either provide the finances, or He would provide what we actually needed, or He would provide a job to earn what we needed. Um, I'm thankful. Maybe this will be an encouragement to some of you parents. I'm thankful that as a parent, there have been so many times in parenting where I'm like, I am not going to survive this as a parent, or will they? I have no clue. I'm at my wit's end. I don't even know what to do. I have no idea how to handle this. I'm not even sure how to navigate this. I am thankful that in those moments, (laughs) and even after those moments, we're able to look back and almost surprise, realize that God got us through it. I am thankful that because of Jesus, I stand forever forgiven. I know that God loves me and he accepts me because of what Jesus did. And not only that, he likes me. (laughs) My God likes me. Ah. Man, I'm thankful that um, when I close my eyes here and open them in eternity, that it's God who's going to greet me. And as Zephaniah 3 tells us, he's going to greet me by singing a song. Uh, I don't deserve mercy, and yet he poured it out on me. I don't deserve grace, and yet he continues to try to drown me with it. I'm grateful that God has given me the Holy Spirit, and he has sealed me in Jesus, and I'm never going to get shaken out of that family. I'm thankful he's given me the Holy Spirit and the, the ability to do everything that Jesus said I should do. I'm thankful that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. I am thankful to know that God so loved me that he gave his son for me so that he and I could be reconciled. And if God was willing to give his son for me, then what good thing could he possibly withhold from me? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, but I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I'm, I'm just filled with worry. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, because God isn't done being good. <laughs> rejoice. Don't let those thieves break in and steal your joy over Christmas. Instead, be reminded what you have to rejoice over, that your name is written in heaven, and that God is big. Be reminded over Christmas that in your time of ultimate need, God showed up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for the reminder of how much you love us. Uh, God, we, we sing songs, we we take time in our services, we, we talk about love a lot, but sometimes we just need to see it. So God, I thank you that uh, in our weakness, you found us. You saved us when, when we have given you every reason not to. <laughs> now, Lord, I, I thank you that we have a reason for joy. You have done so many good things for us. And yet we, we just fail to stop and contemplate them. So Lord, forgive us.
And Lord, I ask as we, as we remember what it is you've done for us, that at the very top of our list, we would remember Jesus and what he did for us, coming into the world and chasing away the darkness, not, not just in the general sense, but in our own hearts. So God, I pray that in, in, in our relationship, in our walk with Christ, we would take the time to remember what it is you've done for us. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you for his immense love for us, his humbleness in, in, in going to the cross for us, his power rising from the dead and his promise to return. Lord, I pray you would fill us with joy as we contemplate his finished work. Amen.